Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at MintMobile.com. generation won't separate their bodies from their brains. They would never consider the metaphor of just a brain attached to the computer. How do we get to trust and intimacy within this blurred virtual physical world? There are estimations that it's up to $100,000 that is made on each of our data. Creativity and the use of machine learning and AI, I've never seen them as able to work separately. Hello and welcome to the Creative Tech Podcast, where we discuss how technology can help you to be more creative. This podcast is made by the National Centre for Creativity, enabled by AI, which is a bit of a mouthful, so we call it CBAE for short. It's presented by the director of CBAE, Professor Neil Maiden. Neil, who's in the studio today? Today, I am delighted to discuss a truly fascinating topic, the Internet of Bodies, with Ghislaine Boddington, a reader in digital immersion at the University of Greenwich here in London. Ghislaine is an artist, curator, director and presenter who specialises in what she calls the future human, as well as body-responsive technologies and immersive experiences. She is also co-founder and creative director of Body Data Space, a pioneering interactive creative design collective who have advocated for the living body to be at the heart of the digital debate since the early 1990s. With a background in dance and performing arts and a long-term focus on blending our physical and virtual bodies, Ghislaine engages in issues such as telepresence, biometrics, identity, and the representation of self as well as connected body enhancements, digital intimacy, and collective embodiment of the future. Ghislaine, good morning, and how are you? Good morning, Neil. I'm very well. Yes, thank you. And where are you talking to us from today? I'm in London, as you said. I'm in Shoreditch, and I'm actually in my home office, working from my home desk this morning. I see you're very close to our offices in Bunhill Row, actually. We may bump into each other having a coffee at some point. Are you busy at the moment? I am. I've had a very intensive, busy patch, and hopefully it's just starting to clear a bit before Easter, because I've got some 
more creative stuff that I want to get on with and need some time and space for that. Fantastic. Are you using any of the technologies that we're going to be talking about today as you uh, talk to us? More in the process of writing and doing the next final bits of grant applications, etc. So hopefully back in the more practical side by May time or so. So in your recent paper, which was published in AI and Society, you argue for something that many of our listeners will not be aware of, something you call the Internet of Bodies. You argue that our physical and virtual worlds are blending and our bodies are finally becoming interfaces. What do you mean by that? Can you give us some concrete examples? Coming from a dance background and I entered into working with technologies kind of by chance in the late 80s when I was a young dancer and producer and we were starting to work with American choreographers Mm. actually using digital video and um, really that grasped me straight away this actual like amazingness of looking at ourselves on screen the narcissism that's involved (laughs) in it but also the um, relativity of it so I from around 91 started to work with what we called remote stage connectivity Mm -hmm. so connecting studios without the internet of course at that time usually mainly using BNC cabling to link up, but so that we could start to explore the relativity to each other across time and space. And it been particularly for me linked into identity issues. Mm. I'd already been working a lot on interculturalism and identity theory, but also in practical terms, dealing with that in physical events and festivals, etc. And I was very interested in it personally but also already slightly concerned at the lack of understandings that were happening across Mm. the world and knowledge exchange situations so because my my whole life has really been about dance and the body Mm. and I work from an embodied point of view for what's what comes from me yeah and my feet work better than (laughs) anything else yeah so I actually of course became engrossed in the in that early technology sector luckily being in London Mm. and being involved Therefore, when the first internet cafe started to open and we were really in London Bridge around the Backspace Internet Cafe and that's where we had our first website and where we were in a community Mm. of all working together and I was able to bring into that the performing arts side, the dance, the theatre, etc. to start to mix with it and the debate became very clear and it was a hard debate to work against that actually what was of great interest then and rightly so from this birth of this wonderful burgeoning method of knowledge exchange was it was about heads and heads exchanging Mm -hmm. it was very much the metaphor and I I have one slide for this that I use in presentations which is you know the picture of the big brain which is attached by multiple wires and Mm -hmm. data flows to the outside world and back in again and transmitting recepting and shifting and creating knowledge exchange all across the world this mass consciousness exchange in a way and thinking and knowledge and of course that for me was as fascinating as for everybody else Mm -hmm particularly in relationship to intercultural exchange, because I was well aware that we needed to have, you know, we needed to hear other people's stories. We needed to share knowledge with each other on how to create solutions for problems that were the same problem in, you know, London Bridge with backspace as they were in in Riga or mm. in, in the middle of Ouagadagou, for mm. example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we needed to find that. But that I was constantly perplexed during that time at the lack of discussion about the body mm. and the internet and also about the really kind of slight disinterest in it, actually, really? the rejection yeah, to a certain extent of the body. This metaphor of the brain attached to the computer becoming the big thing. 
So I got right in there and was like, okay, right, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should be thinking more about just the brain. But the concept of a brain kind of in a in a vase surrounded by, you know, special liquids that just attached to the computer and that we would no longer need the body mm. just was contrary to all of my sense of being yeah, yeah, yeah. and my identity and the people I was working with. And I read a lot and I met a lot of people and I got involved in the transhumanist movement and I was like meeting fantastic discussions and crossovers. But it came clearer and clearer. It really was about just the brain. Mm. yeah. And that actually many of the transhumanists at that time, and some still are, very much talking about, well, you know, this obsolete body. I don't really need this body. I don't actually even like this body very much. And, you know, maybe it's a bit of a hindrance for me because actually it's my brain that matters. And I've written 20 books and I want them to be available onwards, which they will be, of course, Mm -hmm. which I've often said to them. But I actually think my brain is needed onwards too. So I need to be able to continue to live and thrive and continue to put my knowledge into the world beyond death as such, Mm -hmm. that that extreme point Mm -hmm. of transhumanism, Mm -hmm. yeah. So as a group, a collective that were working very much in Canson, very much from the dance space and into international networks, we were doing a lot of EU networks with dance and sound artists Mm -hmm. and digital artists and bringing together hundreds of people across many workshops and practical commissions and festivals and curations. We were constantly going, yes, but the body, you know, needs to be very much part of this. And it's an imperative part, particularly in relationship to interaction and Mm -hmm. transmission Mm -hmm. and reception. And so we experimented with that. And we had this phrase, which you'd said earlier, which is, you know, the body needs to be the centre of digital technologies. And we came from the basis of if as humans we make technologies, which we do Mm -hmm. and have done throughout our history, yeah, that those technologies need to enhance and work and augment us, Mm -hmm. yeah, as as living beings. And that's not just the brain. It is the whole body. Mm. Yeah. So we worked on that as the body at the center of digital technologies. Yeah. In fact, we've shifted across time because we were breaking down the centralization, mm-hmm. as with many people, and looking at the decentered side, decentralizing the body yeah. as, as well. It not being the most important only thing. It's not a pyramid structure of the human body at the top or the human brain at the top. Mm-hmm. And so we moved into the 2000s very much going, OK, working with creative industries now, starting to see what's coming through, the beginning of the quantified body, the beginning of much more body-led technology starting to emerge mm-hmm. and realising that actually what we were talking about was really the body as the interface okay. and that we've reached a point in around 2006 seven, we kind of conceptualised that as the internet of bodies. So you talked about technologies that people will now be familiar with such as the quantified self do you think the the argument's been won now that bodies are part of the interface they may not frame it in the way that you do but is this accepted certainly with so much portable sensor technology that we have nowadays i think it is much more accepted okay. and particularly within the technology industry both at corporate and at creative industry level mm. but i think that we consequently do have a series of problems that were bound to occur linked to that, Mm. that are the kind of opposite end, the polarisation of involving the whole living body within technology. Mm. Yeah, And the body being the interface has created a set of negatives, which we are now in the process of exploring. And that debate, I think, finally has reached a much bigger mass consciousness. And partly that has been to do with the pandemic and COVID. 
So here we are in 2022. Can you give us some examples of what you think might be uh, popular or growing uses of technologies that enable us to interact and engage with all of our bodies? I think at the baseline level, you have a smartphone in your hand. Most people do, not everyone in Mm -hmm. the world, but most people do or have access to, even with a small community, one phone that's used by many. And that smartphone actually could launch Apollo flights. Now Mm. we've got so much power in our hands. And from that phone, if we had a visual rendition coming off the phone of the data we transmit and receive from that phone, we would be surrounded by a mass of data lines going in and out of us. And that interaction is not just between two forms. It's not just voice to voice. Mm, Yeah, mm -hmm. it's voice to text or image to sound. So that literally shifting data from being one type of data to another happens through holding something in our Mm. hands. Yeah. So on an everyday level, we do it without thinking. We are unconscious of those shifts. Yeah. On uh, the next level up, uh, people have chosen many to go towards the quantified self, Mm -hmm, as we mm -hmm. know. So there's a lot of wearables which are linked to health and well-being, linked to fitness, etc., where people obsessively are actually quantifying themselves to the point of modification. (laughs) And we are now moving into really an age of modification of the body where we actually start to control and understand Mm what the quantification is. So I think there's probably about 50 different data outputs, which actually we understand today about our bodies that we possibly didn't even five years ago, Mm. if you're using those quantified tools as a regular, say, runner, sports person, dieting, but also for health and fitness Mm. and for very importantly around quite complex medical complaints, etc. And then I think the next layer up is we start to move into virtual worlds and the virtual physical blending side Mm -hmm. that I've always been very interested Mm. in. I could see it coming for years since the early 90s. How are we going to live physically alongside our virtual selves and others? How do we start to move across what must be a blurred edge? It has to become blurred. It has to enable us to live physically well and to encounter and enact within the virtual. Mm-hmm. And that in the last five years, too, I think the telepresence domination of the pandemic has brought that into a much bigger mass consciousness. Yeah. And then I think the final layer is the control of that and the control of our bodies and our data and our biometric data, which has become the most valuable data in the world. And our behavioral data is part of the predictive economics of all corporates onwards. And I think then we look at the last stage, which will be and is becoming already in place, data transmission and reception implants. So Mm -hmm. the deep body embedded technologies. Mm -hmm. So three of those four levels already sound like science fact to me rather than science fiction. I think you're right. Yeah, Yeah. we went through quite a lot of complex bumps and ups and downs and and, uh, full on debates, which probably made us good at it, Mm, you know, actually right there. And not just, of course, with the um, the intellectual side mm. of net exchange, but also with the, the dance sector and the theatre sector, who still mm-hmm. are struggling with what they call the death of liveness. Yeah. And I'm very interested in liveness. So a lot of my work is about how do we get to presence and trust and intimacy within this blurred virtual physical world, which allows us to be hyper-enhanced mm. rather than to to be disembodied mm. as such. Do you think existing technologies are, are causing us to overtrust at the moment? You see so much overexposure of individuals via various mobile devices. Is that, a, is that a concern that we should have collectively at the moment? I'm not saying it will restrict these technologies in the future, but it does seem to be a phenomenon. 
I think on one level, your question um, in terms of our concern about young people mm, or even, exactly. you know, ourselves yeah. constantly going to the phone yeah. and checking the addictive nature of it is is a complex scenario at this point. I think it's slightly over-exaggerated, as was, for example, the obsession in the early 2000s with gaming mm. being the reason for obesity. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we knew that gaming would become physical and it will become more and more physical. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it may be the, the actual opposite because it allows that, mm. that scenario, the physical scenario to happen. I think we have a lot of... Um, learning to do we're in a very extreme learning curve and particularly us who are over 30 because we are out of it really on this we don't quite get it we put judgments (laughs) on it we we create myths around it we decide that because we're the elders we know better and we say that that's not good enough or that's going to stop this or make young people bad at this etc i think these are illusions i believe a lot in intergenerational debate about Mm -hmm. it i have Mm -hmm. we've got a massive amount to learn from under 20s, mm-hmm. if not under 15s, actually, 15-year-olds, about virtual physical blending yeah, and blurring. Yeah. But I also think that we need to be aware that equally the confusion is there for all product and service creators. So whether that is a micro-business right through to a big corporate platform, we're all in this confusion, mm-hmm. this learning mm-hmm. stage. It's very complex, the patterns of interaction, and will become more complex, mm-hmm. Yeah. We can't trust that a company that puts out a new product, say a new wearable of some type, is going to have the data ethics attached to that company's mission to prove to us that they're not going to misuse us, Mm -hmm. yeah, us and our data. Um, And I think that we have to go to a point, hopefully in the next two or three years, where that that data ethic mission and the way that they will use our data is totally stated in a way that customers can see up mm-hmm. front what will happen. Not 80-page T's and C's, yeah, yeah, yeah. but right on the front page, we will not be misusing your data. And at the moment, you could look at two products on the web which are pretty identical and you wouldn't know which was or wasn't mm-hmm. from first straight up, except for possibly micro-businesses who do mm-hmm. do more about this data ethics yeah. straight up. So you, you talk about data ethics as being a potential barrier, and I know you advise the UK government on this. Do you see that as the, the biggest short-term barrier to this uh, growth of the Internet of Bodies or are there others that we should be aware of? <laughs> The whole area of ethics in life in general is so complex. Indeed. I mean, look at what we've got happening at the Indeed. moment with the war situation in Ukraine and Russia, etc. We all know that ethics has to be learnt mm-hmm. from when you're young, when you're a baby, whereas you're born into a world of technologies. You take them for granted. We see one-year-olds tapping, madly hitting the naught mm-hmm. on a on a front of a magazine cover thinking it's going to open the iPad, you know, yeah, and it's yeah. not an iPad, you know, so... I guess I'm coming from a place where I don't think that the ethics involved in virtual are any different than they are in the real world, the physical world, and that that needs to be totally considered. And I think quite often people go into virtual as if they're going into a game. Mm-hmm. I'm not mad on the gamification of all the culture mm-hmm. stuff, actually, because I think it slightly takes the seriousness Indeed. off these, these issues. Yeah. Mm. It's very different playing hide and seek with friends in a house than playing hide and seek on the internet when you're creating false information. Mm. So it's more about um, people's understanding how to behave. Following on from your argument about the blurring of the virtual and the physical, we should behave in the virtual as we behave in the physical. Absolutely. And therefore, 
taking it straight back to it's my body, it's my heartbeat, it's my emotion, my behavioural traits, my gait, mm. my gaze in the physical world. I own that. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have the choice to, you know, opt out of donating it if I want to, mm-hmm. which I don't. I have, you know, I'm perfectly happy about donating from my mm-hmm. body, but some people through various cultural religious reasons would choose to opt mm-hmm. out. Yeah. And therefore, I believe we should have the choice with mm-hmm. our body data too. So, and that ethic needs to come into so place. So where are we with that generally in, in owning our own data? Because I get a sense that we, we, as you said earlier, with the T's and C's, we inadvertently sign a lot of it over when we download an app or buy a new um, sensor-based product. Um, where, where's that going, do you think? I think we're going towards another Cambridge Analytica, which will happen within the next three to four years with our body data. Mm. It's so obvious, yeah, that the harvesting of data invisibly from our bodies, which has doubled across COVID mm-hmm. with vaccine passports and with um, the different layers of what we've had, information we've just had to put into apps, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely definitely true. Data gathered in the world has doubled in the last two years. Mm. And it's obviously not all body data. But my gaze from airport surveillance is probably held in, I don't know, I've travelled a lot, yours too, <laughs> 30 or 40 different servers minimum around the world repetitively. Yeah. I don't own it. I don't know who owns it. It's owned by multiple different mm-hmm. companies. It's sold and it makes money. And there are estimations that it's up to 100000 a year dollars that is made on each of our data. Wow. In general, by the corporate yeah, yeah, whole. Yeah, sure. So Extraordinary. Imagine if that money was going back into... Not necessarily to me personally, yeah, but actually was going into a pot to provide data for people who don't have data access. Mm, yeah. mm. But it's not. It's going into billionaires' purses yeah. and it's um, making more and more money for the big corporates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do we need to learn to, so, to own our data? Do we need to be more ethical in our choices of which products we use and, and how we sign off T's and C's? Is, is the things that we as everyday citizens can do at this point or is it too early in the cycle? <clears throat> I think it's a really interesting one, Neil, because in these debates with policy mm. people and with companies, etc., and with the, the data for good mm-hmm. grouping too, I think there's often a quite fast rejection of the intelligence of us all to be able to deal with our data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what I'd like to see would be at the front line of my computer was a data dashboard, which I can choose to opt in or opt out of various data usage. And obviously, I personally would tick into the data use for good. I have no problem with that. I know we need that mass big data to create solutions to massive problems, Mm -hmm. climate change, the vaccine, everything, you know, maybe that option should be automatically ticked on, Mm. but you have to take it off if you don't want to Mm. give data for good, Mm -hmm. you know. But I think the data for good lots seem to believe, not everyone, but, you know, in general, that people wouldn't tick it on. They would be not intelligent enough or a bit too mean to just opt in, mm. yeah, to that, yeah. And then at the other end of it, there's um, often a debate, which is that the public are just not intelligent enough to use a data dashboard. Well, I don't believe that's true. And actually, if you were so uninterested, which some people are completely, I don't care what my data is used for, it really doesn't bother me, then fine. Yeah, the data for good tick button is on and the rest of it goes to charity. I think if you made everybody aware that there's the estimate of $100,000 per year associated with their data, they may suddenly become a bit more attentive to clicking yeah. some of those buttons. I think that's, that was fascinating. Yes. I'd not heard that estimate before. So that was that was fascinating. 
So how do you see this notion of the internet of bodies shaping our future? Is it going to be more in entertainment? Is it going to be in business, education? Are there some sort of directions in which you see, let me call them low-hanging fruit over the next three to five years and then some longer-term challenges? I think in a way, the Internet of Bodies concept has been very much based on individual identity, you know, and how we hold on to selfhood Mm. and data ownership is linked directly into this to selfhood and living uniqueness. Mm. Yeah, I've been part of the Internet of Things since 1999, the council. I'm very aware of all these connected objects. I've run huge studio projects where I might have 30 or 40 living beings but also maybe 150 machines and I never saw any of them as really other than connected and you know we have to chain connect them to get our work to happen Mm -hmm. complex interaction work and I think also working with generative softwares also is part of that too I've always been very interested in how we you know the living body changes the audio and visual around you is often what we work with um so machine learning which is generative and working with us as living bodies so and then the implant side um i've done a lot of work with cyborgs and with implants and that also automatically suggests connectivity and has some connectivity Mm -hmm. in it already so it's a kind of umbrella for this whole area of why do we need to be connected? What the positives could come mm. from from that? But also, how do we be aware of the issues that could be attached to it or the dangers that could occur if we're not aware enough of the connectivity exactly. and how it is being, um, I guess, data graphed, you know, in yeah. a sense. So who's seeing the opportunities at the moment then? I mean, a lot of new technologies that come along are normally first grabbed by the entertainment industry. And then there's a a trickle down but there's a secondary take up in other sectors afterwards is that is that possible with this kind of technology is that a good thing if it is possible how do you see it playing out in the next five to ten years i think it's well on its way you're right it's military and entertainment Mm, are often ahead i mean with telepresence which i started in 91 working with the remote stage stuff the military were ahead of that and you know so we got to skype in 2005 Mm -hmm. yeah and it becomes mass yeah creating your own avatar at home really came in through second life yeah, yeah, yeah. making something which looked like you or didn't look like you whatever you wanted to be yeah. you know that 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 multi-identity mm-hmm. side and also motion capture came into the you know into the living room with connect mm-hmm. in i think i was 2009 or 11 yeah, or true. something yeah. and um, before that motion capture i was doing literally grounded by long long leads and not you know tethered mm-hmm. totally tethered just being able to work in a very small circle that doesn't work for living beings and dance yeah, yeah. yeah so it was always pre-production for post-production work yeah, yeah, yeah. so I think entertainment has moved forward very fast on this the gaming world um, we are seeing their connected bodies all the time and of course we now have the big announcement of what we all knew about already but the metaverse yeah, yeah. and the metaverse or multi-metaverses or multi-micro metaverses which actually are connected up this is where we will see very very rapid developments and convergences of body technologies mm. entirely body technologies in to these virtual collaborative share spaces in Mm -hmm. a way. And our our centre at Seabay, we're very much interested in using digital to augment human creativity, be that individual creativity or collaborative creativity. Do you see any interesting 
opportunities or applications for the internet bodies to augment human creativity in problem solving, artistic endeavors, and so on. I'm sure you've you must have mulled this over at some point. Yes, I think it's an entirely collaborative thing. Mm. Internet bodies is about sharing exactly. and collaborating, about us transferring data, beliefs, knowledge, ideas into central points which we share. Those could be completely open central points, you mm. know, for everyone, or they could be for just me and you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we can make those decisions. I think that looking at creativity and the use of machine learning and AI alongside it, I've never seen them as able to work separately. Yeah, yeah. it is very much a, a collaboration, mm-hmm. human mm-hmm. and machine collaboration. That's why we make technologies. That's what I believe. Mm-hmm. The wheel doesn't do anything without us. That was a very early technology, which has become <laughs> extremely useful and yeah. has had a lot of problems too, causing mass pollution and climate change issues. Yeah. Mm. So although what would we have done without the wheel? Yeah. So, you know, it's like these things are are not new issues. We need to look a little bit deeper at what collaboration is. It's too rapidly used. It means nothing anymore, Mm. really, because there's so many people use it because that's how you get the funding or whatever. There's too many people who collaborate with lighting designers who are really telling the lighting designer what to do, yeah, and not allowing a creativity to happen from everyone that's involved. And that definitely is true in the arts, in creative industries still, in design, because there's too much hierarchy still in place. But I do think that we are seeing incredibly amazing creativity happen in very collaborative forms and with this more collective embodiment happening within the total creative worlds of Fortnite, Roblox, Mm, Minecraft, mm -hmm. yeah, which are And I just got an update on this the other day from some top industry people. They are, everyone's stunned how much is happening in those areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely stunned, particularly, of course, across lockdown. But here we're talking really about the under 15s. Yeah. Yeah. They are flowing in collaborative creativity with machine learning. Yeah. Yeah. Within gaming worlds in that case but their transference of that into their world of work is where we're going to see the huge shift in how people do work in the future so is it is it these guys working with machines that's challenging the the block that it's the hierarchy or is it simply we're bringing in new generations of people that are not conditioned to work in the ways that those of us above 30 have been or is it both I think it's a bit of both. I did some really interesting work in Montreal a few years ago using the dome, which is fantastic working with data in domes because you can be totally free body and natural. Mm. And there could be 200 of you working together and creating really huge shifts in data around you. Yeah. Whether that's sound and image for beauty or whether it's multiple words for creating educational resources. Mm Yeah. Um, I think domes are beautiful immersion spaces, like cathedrals were yeah, in their yeah, day. Yeah, yeah they, you know, these are amazing, beautiful spaces which can open up creativity in people with sound and light and smells and everything. Mm-hmm. But I did some work for Society of Art and Technologies. As part of their immersion experience um, conference, we ended up having 80 across two or three sessions, um, VR and AR software programmers, into the dome to work with our machine learning generative reactive softwares Mm. and they were dancing and moving we were you know directing them on very simple but very fun group movement stuff and contact improvisation stuff and they were seeing the coding up on the walls as well at the same time as seeing the reactions they were seeing yeah so they loved it this next generation will be automatically in that flow 
yeah, they won't separate their bodies from their brains, basically. We're back, you know, back to the beginning of my discussion. <laughs> they would never consider the metaphor of just a brain attached to the computer. Mm. I think there we have uh, coming through those very creative in-game places at the moment. Mm. They are, you know, in-game platforms, a set of young people who will be our next set of world creators, mm-hmm. yeah, not necessarily coding themselves. And there's that's, that's an true. interesting mm-hmm. complex problem for our computer friends out there, yeah, because they'll need the coding to start to work for them and ahead of them. That's where AI will start to exactly. work with them. Exactly. Um, and uh uh, where they will create the collaborative environments or the co-creation in a very hyper-connected way. And those methodologies will flow into work and obviously the rest of their social lives, very much into health and well-being, very important area mm-hmm. of this, actually. And I think hopefully more and more into politics and policy. And again, working a lot at the moment on the technology side of the Ukraine and Russia stuff for the BBC at the moment. We're doing a lot of coverage every single day. I'm absolutely amazed what's happening with social media from both sides, Mm -hmm. but very particularly how we now have what is really our first social media world leader coming from the president of Ukraine. This is a very optimistic and upbeat finish here to to talk about the next generation of younger people coming through and enhancing everything from AI to end-user programming to be able to co-develop these technologies for hopefully, well, it's hopefully peace. I'll um, I'll say that since we're recording that it's a difficult time. So thank you very much for that. That was fascinating. I want to finish off the uh, the podcast by uh, asking you a couple of questions that we like to ask all of our podcasters. At CBay, we build technology to support creative problem solving with tools you can use every day, more ideas, more often. Creativity on demand, if you like. So let me test your creativity on demand with three short questions demanding short answers, if I may. First question is, what is the most single important thing you need in order to be creative? I'm going to say this very well-known phrase, but flow. It needs to be a flow and an openness and flow that actually you need to find through a figure of eight connectivity between your brain and your body. Uh And actually, many people have lost that. They can relearn it. That's no problem. Hopefully, our younger generations stay in that very important body-mind interface flow. Fantastic. I'm tempted to ask more, but this is a short answers question. Um, The second question is, if you could create any new tech or app that could do anything, real or imaginary, what would it be? An unconscious bias eliminator. Oh, I like that. Because I think that's our biggest problem in the world is the way that we unconsciously judge. Yeah. And I think if something flashed up when I was talking and said, maybe you should double think here. Is this a bias towards this person or Mm, this situation uh in this direction? I'm not not saying it is, but could you check check yourself, double check yourself? Because we are so trained and educated into being biased Mm -hmm. in various different ways. Indeed, indeed. Fascinating. And if you could remove one thing from the world to make people more creative, what would that thing be? I think at this point, I've been feeling very strongly it has to be war and weapons mm-hmm. and we should just remove all weaponry and all of those ways of destroying each other Indeed. Yeah, physically particularly but also mentally a fantastic answer to the third question 
So thank you very much for taking time to talk to us today. It's been fascinating to, to meet with you and talk with you. Well, thank you very much too. And thanks to our listeners for listening to the Creative Tech Podcast from Seabay. Check the show notes for links and any other stuff we've talked about today. And please take time to like the podcast and leave a review. It really does make a difference. You can follow us on Twitter at Seabay Center. That's C E B A I Center. Or on LinkedIn, Creativity Enabled by AI. 